everybody, and welcome back to Learning from Smart People. I'm your host, Rob Oliver, and I really appreciate you tuning in today. My guest is Danny Howe. She is a content and brand marketing leader who started her career in PR and communications in the retail and e-commerce space. Due to a layoff at age 21, she decided to go solo and founded her own content agency, working with small and medium-sized businesses to gain coverage and traction in major publications. In 2017, she joined Procurify, a Series B software company helping organizations managing their spend. It's headquartered in Vancouver, BC, Canada, where she drove content and PR strategy for its $20 million Series B. Procurify has been featured in Accounting Today, Forbes, VentureBeat, Accounting Web, and other leading publications. And Danny joins us on the program today. Danny, thanks for being on the show. Of course. Thanks for having me, Rob. So you and I had talked a little bit, and you you have an expertise in content marketing. And even more than that, you were talking about the fact that kind of PR in your estimation is changing. Can you talk to me a little bit about the way that public relations is changing as you see it? Yeah, for sure. So I think when people first hear the words PR, they think of, you know, very traditional public relations. They think of press releases. They think of you know, written articles that talk more about the company and its products and less about more of its vision or more about its brand. So I think that old fashioned type of PR is really starting to die out. You know, that's like um very, uh, if I may say it, 1990s, very early 2000s, where it's more about um, pitching to the media and saying, here's what's going on in my company. Would you want to cover me? So in that time in, in the space, I feel like there was less competition. There was not really as much brand building as it is right now where we're standing um, the long-term play, actually, it's more about building brands through content and also influencer marketing. So it's really more of an integrated approach rather than just um, plain media pitching and using press releases to tell your company's story. So you say building a brand. What exactly does that mean to you? For sure. So I think um, a brand is almost like a person, right? You know, when you meet um, a celebrity or even when you think of like a person in your mind, you kind of know what this person stands for, their values, um, what they're what they're like, what they like and dislike. Um, also, it makes them feel some sort of way, you know, when you think of a person in your mind. So if I say, hey, imagine a person that makes you feel safe, you can probably start thinking of a person in your mind. It might be your parents, it might be one of your loved ones. And I think a brand, if you do brand building the right way, it could also give the person who's in interacting with your brand, the same level of feeling. And you, when you actually pass that level of feeling, that's actually what gets people to buy, you know, like people don't really buy from companies, they buy from people. And if you can make your brand seem like an actual human behind it, that's actually what gets people the conviction to actually want to purchase your product or service. So are you saying that you can build kind of a company image that gives people a feeling and that feeling is what makes them buy from your company or are you talking about a personal brand? Yeah. So I'm talking about a company brand. So if we're talking on a space, if you own a um, your own business or if you have a company, there should be a brand that surrounds it. So instead of saying, hey, um, I sell coffee beans or I have a coffee shop, there should be a brand around that coffee shop. How does this coffee shop make other people feel? How is this different from any of your other competitors? What's your niche? You know, who's actually the coffee drinker here? Is it 
um, you know, the struggling student that wants a little bit cheaper of like a expression shot? Or do you want it to be, you know, the businesswoman that really cares a lot about the quality of the beans and where they're sourced from. So there's like a story behind each business. And I think that's really the important brand stories that we need to start telling. You make it so much sense because I'm thinking about you, it's who you're marketing to. So if you're looking for a, as you said, you've got a coffee shop and you're looking to sell inexpensive coffee that the average student can run in and grab something that will help them stay awake to three o'clock in the morning when they're <laughs> studying. Um, that's one way to tell your story. But if you're talking about someone who has a consciousness about, you know, the, the way fair trade and all of these things, and you're talking about where the bean comes from and who harvested the bean. And then there's another kind of, when you're talking about the quality and the way that it's roasted and the people who are kind of the coffee snobs, that's yet another brand. And it all depends in how you're, how you're presenting yourself. So the question then becomes, as you're building that brand, what are the tools that you're using to create that feeling? And what is, are the tools that you're using to, to make people hear your story? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great question, Rob. And thank you for um, saying the examples make sense to you. I think number one is really just knowing your niche. Um, I think I've seen a lot of business owners where, you know, they have this really great idea. They know what problem they want to solve. But um, when I asked them, so what, who is this product for? And they say something very general, like let's, let's go back to the coffee shop. For example, if I asked like a um, small business owner, so who, which, um, who do you serve in the space? Who is your ideal coffee drinker? And they say something along the lines of, well, it's, it's people who like coffee. You know, that's, that's not really specific enough. And I think as specific as you can get with your niche, that's actually, you know, where you should start building the story. And some people, they get very intimidated by it, right? Because they don't want to alienate other people. Like, let's say um, I'm starting a clothing company and let's say um, I want to, you know, make it for women. And I will say, okay, I want, I want it to be for women who want to look good. Well, that's, that's like a large portion of women who want to look good, but what is actually your niche? Is it petite women? Is it, um, women who care a lot about the latest trends where maybe it's an eco-conscious business, right? Like knowing your niche and uh, making sure that you know who you're actually speak to, to the dot. And I know um, there's a few tools that you can do this. One is building a persona. So let's take um, Lululemon, for example. Um, hopefully everyone's familiar with this brand. Obviously it's been really hot recently. My daughter loves Lululemon. There you go. And you know, Lululemon, you can kind of see their brand just from like the models they use. You can kind of see their brand just from how they tell their stories, right? And there's a reason why, Rob, that your daughter loves Lululemon. She probably can really relate to the image of the, you know, the girl or the guy that wears Lululemon and what those ideals actually hold for her. And also for me, I love Lululemon as well for myself. Like there's a bigger story and a movement surrounding the brand in itself. And that's really why I think they're so successful. Excellent. Are there... Are there ways that you can help your clients drill down to find out what their niche is? Because what you're, what you're saying, it just is, it's basically finding out kind of who wants to buy this or mm -hmm. so that, that I can define what I am selling because once I can define who the buyer is, then I can, it, so what, I guess actually my question is what comes first? finding the buyer or defining the brand or does it happen at the same time? 
Yeah, I would say finding the buyer first. So if you have an idea or if you have a you know, problem that you think um, you, can, uh, you can solve with your service or your product, then the second question is to ask who actually wants this and to actually validate this. Because sometimes, you know, we have a gut instinct. We think, okay, it might be, you know, um, this type of person, right? Like we create a persona of that. But it's also really important to test whether your assumptions are true or not, because sometimes they aren't. And that's kind of the magic of content marketing as well. Um, it's almost like a very low cost way for you to test whether your assumptions are actually true without having to spend a lot of money in advertising or, you know, any other direct costs associated with it. So I'll give you an example, Rob. Um, for example, let's go back to the Lululemon example. Um, let's say we know the persona is, let's say, um, you know, upper middle class woman who obviously cares a lot about her fitness um, and cares a lot about work-life balance, right? That's kind of who I think Lululemon's um, ideal persona is. In that case, then you can build some stories to test whether this is the right persona for you. For example, like, well, what are the motivations behind this person? Well, um, I think that, you know, a Lululemon buyer or the persona of it, she's going to really care a lot about her career, but also her health at the same time. So, as a Lululemon, I can start building some articles and stories around not just buying Lululemon, but also what Lululemon stands for, like how to get ahead of your career, for example, or um, having a good work-life balance. And those are kind of the essentially the stories that kind of surround that particular brand and the topic. And now you can branch off in different categories, too. So it sounds to me like what you're talking about is as you're building the brand and you're building the story of the brand, you're kind of building a brand voice. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the brand voice is really about how you say it too, right? Like, even though you might know the topics, okay, so um, with uh, motivated um, career women, you care about, you know, work-life balance, how to get ahead in the game when you're at a company. But how do you actually say this? You know, are you a little bit more conservative and professional in the way that you um, write your articles? Or are you a little bit more sassy and direct and straight to the point? Do you actually swear in the pieces that you write? Because that's kind of like a funny thing too. Sometimes when I speak to clients, you know, I ask them, how do you actually speak to your prospective clients or leads? And sometimes they don't really know. They're like, well, obviously it's best to be conservative. It's best to be safe. But the thing is like, you also need to have a unique voice. You know, if you sound like everybody else, you don't really stand out. And at Procurefly, like one thing that we really care about is just having compassion and be genuine at the same time, also having a lot of fun. Like we call ourselves the misfits that fit. So we do swear in a lot of our writing and we do swear when we do events. And, you know, some people might be shocked or offended by it, but that's part of our unique brand voice. And it builds, you know, again, this feeling of comfort to other people saying that they trust us. Sure. It's something that resonates with the target audience that you're looking for. I, I think about, I have a friend who is a recovering drug addict and he goes and he speaks at a lot of meetings. And if he, mm -hmm. he feels like if he was to be completely clean and completely vanilla in his, uh, in his presentation, that the folks that are there wouldn't relate to him, but by speaking the language that his target audience speaks, he feels like he's able to reach out to them and to connect with them in a way that he couldn't if he didn't have what he feels is an authentic voice. Totally. So tell me then, like, you have this brand voice and you're trying it out. 
what's involved in the process of trying out your brand voice and sharing, you know, the thoughts and opinions and stories that come with that voice. Yeah, for sure. So um, if we're thinking a little bit more on the um, tactical end, one thing I really like to do as a tool is just to use, um, for example, like a keyword researcher. So there's a lot of tools out there. For example, like kwfinder.com, Moz has a really good keyword search finder. That really sets the stage for, you know, um, content ideation. Because I think a lot of people get stuck on like, okay, what should I talk about? Now that I know what my brand voice is, now that I know who my persona is, what should I even write about? Where do I start, right? So the first step is really just to um, research the space. So let's say, you know, if we're looking at coffee shops again, for as an example, now that you know the niche, let's say, okay, I'm going to go after, you know, the college students that really just want to get like a nice caffeine kick. Right. So maybe I want to make a search on Google um, or using Keyword Finder to to see what are the associated keywords with people that want cheap coffee. So maybe I'll search up cheap coffee nearby and I can have a list of all the competitors near me that looking at their content, what are they doing and how can I make mine different? Another thing is like, okay, if we know the that students are one of our target audiences, what are some of the things that they care about? So they might care about, okay, um, how do you study more effectively? How do you get the most out of your day with so little time. And also it might be like, hey, how can you make a perfect cup of coffee at home when you're trying to like, you know, do those late night crams? There's many different topics that can come out of just keyword research, but you also need to know um, what the volume of the keywords is, especially if you're going to try to rank for it. Because one of the biggest um, goals with content marketing is so your content can be searchable. So when I search up cheap coffee shops near me, then you know, your business will pop up in front page instead of somebody else's. Sure. So what I'll ask you is if you can share those links with me, I'll put them in the show notes so that as folks are listening, they'll be able to uh, just click in the show notes and and find those tools, uh, which would be wonderful. For sure. Yeah. One of the things that you're talking about, though, and, and you and I talked about this before, and it's really one of the real reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is when you have this brand voice and you are beginning to share that content, you were talking about the opportunity to share this online and not just to do it necessarily as a blog post on your own site, but actually to use some of the bigger publications and the bigger sites out there to put your voice out there and get your message heard. How does that work? Yeah, for sure. So I'm really glad you asked me, Rob, because like that's one of the biggest under leverage channels that any business um that I've seen. So a lot of times, like people think content uh, marketing is about, you know, producing the content and then posting it on our own entities, sharing it a few times on social and, you know, that's it. But really like one really under leveraged channel is really earned media. But people get scared about this because when you think about earned media, again, it goes back to traditional PR. Oh, I don't have the expertise for this. Or maybe like, I don't have anything interesting in my company. Why would a media, you know, publication want to publish this? And really, especially now during you know COVID-19, a lot of publications are looking for fresh new content because unfortunately, sometimes they will have to size down their team of journalists and they're always looking for fresh new perspectives. So what they want is not, um, it's not really company news per se, that's like the traditional form of PR, but what they want is actually an opinion. So they want an opinion and a unique perspective on something. So one way to actually find the right publication to get um, to become a contributor or to get published is to start looking at um, 
who are the publications that are covering similar industries or similar businesses as you. So if you're, let's say, like a coffee shop, you can search up, um, you know, some of the top business publications. And there's like usually a little um, like on the top right there, there's usually like a search function. You can start searching up, you know, coffee shops, for example, and small business publications. Or you can even go online and search up, you know, um, small, medium, small, medium sized restaurants um, and then publications. You know, there's a few keywords that you can start using depending on like what business you are in. Um, and then you can also look at your competitors. Where are they actually getting listed um, as part of their media strategy? And, you know, like with publications too, sometimes they don't really care as much your business, but they care more about what you have to say in the space. So even though, um, you know, you might be like a B2C business, you also might have, have unique views on a, uh, you know, on the B2B side, depending on what opinions that you have in that space. Maybe there's learnings from your B2C years that you can translate to the B2B years. It's really about knowing who you want to, um, knowing what voice you want to like really share with the audience and also what the publication actually wants. Like what are their requirements for a successful pitch? Okay, so just a couple of clarification points. When you're talking B2C and B2B, you're talking business to consumer and then business to business. And mm -hmm. One of the things that you were saying there really resonates with me because having a podcast called Learning from Smart People, when I approached a couple people about being on the show, of course, their, their immediate reaction is, oh, yeah, of course, I should be on the Learning from Smart People because I'm a smart person. And I say, wonderful, when do you want to be on? And they're like, actually, I don't know if anybody can really learn anything from me. I don't know what I know that other people don't. And it's that same understanding where they, they kind of have – uh, as a professional speaker, they, we talk about the imposter syndrome where yeah. you feel like, you know, I, I'm like, am, am I really that special that people should listen to me? Or what is it that I know that people can gain from? Uh, but what I've come to understand is everybody has that niche area where they have more understanding and more knowledge than the average person does. Totally. That's exactly what you're talking about saying, find out what your niche is. And then once you have that, find out ways that you can share the information that you know and in ways that really highlights who you are and highlights what your company is doing. Absolutely. And also, I just want to highlight again, the other thing that you said was about Googling things. So uh, Googling whatever the, the industry is that you're in and the word publication or magazine or newsletter, is that kind of what you're putting out there as the idea? Yeah, so that's um, how to get the list of publications that you can start pitching to. So another way of Googling also is what I call the awareness, um, consideration, and intent. So there's certain keywords that only show awareness. So this is normally like, okay, is there actually a market for product X or service X? So that's kind of like, um, for example, um, I'm trying to think of an example here. Maybe it's um, UV UV powered lights, or I don't know, something stupid like that. You can search up that and see if right. people are actually having a need for it, if people are actually searching for it. But there's also intent-driven keywords where it's like, where can I find a UV powered light? Because when you have like a question associated with it or like a problem statement, that mm -hmm. is when people are actually looking for that particular product and they're actually willing to buy. So that's when you want to start answering some of these queries within the articles that you're either pitching or within the articles that you're publishing on your own entities, because then those are the people that will actually convert into customers. It's so interesting that you say that because one of the things that I've learned recently is that with the 
with the prevalence of Siri and the Amazon Echo and you know the Google Assistant, all of this kind of thing, people's searches are now coming in the form of questions. They're not coming in the form of just a, a statement. So, so many times people want to know how can I do this or where can I do this or why. And when you're putting that in as a as your search term, you're finding out what what other people are looking for. And then the other piece is that as you're generating content, if you're generating content that answers those questions, it's going to be what people are seeing. So I love that concept and love the idea. If you're if you're going to try to get your content into other publications, what do you call that? Like, is it called pitching still? And how does that work? Yeah, for sure. And that's a really fair question. Um, so with that, like one thing I would recommend is just having like a um, kind of like a one page fact sheet of yourself, you know, um, why do you think you're qualified to speak on, you know, whatever subject that you're pitching on? Um, a few examples of your previous writing, if you have some, and if you don't, you know, you might just want to say, hey, like, this is my first time pitching. Um, here's a draft of the piece. So depending on the publication, like normally, they will want some examples of to make sure that, you know, you're, you're a good writer if you're writing it yourself, or you have the industry expertise that you claim to have. So those two are really, really important. And if you are a um, B2B business owner, um, or I guess also B2C business owner, like a little blurb about your business as well, not like exactly what you do per se, but also like the mission and the values of what you stand for. Again, like going back to the whole brand building part, right? Like what do you actually stand for as a company? So making sure you have that information readily available because um, that's normally the first thing that they'll ask. And the second thing, obviously, is the pitch itself. So what's actually your headline? Because the headline normally is like the first thing that people look at, whether they decide to, you know, decide to click on this article, decide they actually want to give time to read it. So um, normally editors, they will really judge the basis of your pitch based on how good the headline is. And I think like um, one exercise that I still do every single day is practice like 20 headlines for every single article idea that I'm trying to pitch. Because eventually you're going to get one where you're like, wow, yes, I would actually click that. And you can even test this with friends. You can send them your example headline be like, is this compelling enough for you to click? Do you know what I'm going to be talking about just from the headline itself? Okay. So how do you, what's your process for coming up with alternative headlines? Because for me, that's such a difficult thing. Like <laughs> this is what it's about. It, it, I said what it was about. Now, how do you work through the process of generating alternative headlines? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so again, like this one thing that you could do is going back to the Google method, right? So let's say um, I want to write an article on uh, workplace diversity. So what I can do is go on Google and I can search up workplace diversity opinions, for example, or even just um, tips on workplace diversity. And you're going to see like on front page, all of the articles that have to do with that particular subject. And you can start scanning the ones that immediately in your mind, you're like, wow, that's a good headline. Or the ones that are like, oh, I don't know how that made it to the front page of Google. And then you can start taking bits and parts of why those are actually good headlines. Like you can start even categorizing it in your mind, um, the patterns that you start seeing. Like some of the most compelling headlines that I've personally seen have a lot of emotion and immediacy. For example, it's like how to improve your sales right now um, online. You know, that's that's a pretty compelling headline because first of all, it's like improve. There's like some sort of, um, you know, result to that, right? And then right now it's immediacy. So I would want to click that versus let's say five tips to improve your sales. It's just a little bit more compelling. And 
it, once you start picking this up by, you know, reading and analyzing more headlines and by just practicing, um, not publishing the first headline that you can think of, you're going to get better and better at it. And soon, based on the publication that you're pitching to, you're going to know their style as soon as you start scanning like their front page, because those are normally the pieces that um, they want people to notice more. All right, so I'm going to give you a chance to brag right now. Can you tell me some of the cool publications that either you or your clients have been able to get or get their content published in? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm not a big bragger, so this will be kind of hard. Uh, so for one of my smaller clients, uh, she's a local um, beauty salon in Vancouver. Her name's uh, Joanna Keller Boutique. We actually got her on Allure. Um, so she does lash, ex lash extensions. And um, she actually got covered in Allure because she was doing these crazy like, unicorn lashes. And um, the headline was something really, really cool. It was like, um, the unbelievable like unicorn extensions are now a thing. So, you know, really speaking to the teenage audience that Allure has, really speaking to like this shocking element of, oh, this is something new, like click this to learn more about it. So that's one of the, the pieces that I was personally really excited for. Another one also is for Procurify. Um, so this was when um, we had a really interesting discussion on what the future of the CFO looks like. And, you know, we ghost wrote this um, on behalf of our CEO where every single person actually should start thinking like a CFO. Um, because like, if you can really think like a CFO, then the decisions that you make on behalf of your company financially, it will make a lot more sense. It will align with business goals. So that um, got us into Accounting Today, which is one of the biggest accounting publications. And that was really exciting. That sounds awesome. I, you have shared a lot with us today. If people are interested in getting in touch with you, where can they find you on the web? Yeah, for sure. So they can um, obviously connect with me on LinkedIn. I am um, open to any connection requests. I welcome that. Or um, if you want to also book like a free 30 minute consultation for me to take a look at, you know, what you're doing right now in terms of your brand and PR and content, I don't mind doing that. You know, I love meeting new people. So um, Rob, I think I sent you my Calendly invite there. So it's calendly.com slash Danny and then um, how. Wonderful. I'll put that link right in the show notes as well. You have been fantastic. You are obviously smart. I have learned a lot from you. It's time to establish that you are indeed a person. So we've got three questions to establish your humanity. <laughs> are you ready for these? Yeah, let's do it. I, what's your hobby and how did you get into it? Yeah. Um, ooh, let's see. I have many hobbies. Okay. So I think uh, one of my major hobbies is definitely... Um, yoga and meditation. So I got into this because I used to be someone who focused on a billion things all at once. And I realized I need to actually cut down the things that don't really matter and focus on the things that do matter. So one of my really great mentors um, introduced me to meditation where it's really about focusing, but also letting go at the same time. So after doing meditation, I've gotten much better at concentration, focusing on what actually matters. So the fact that you were using Lululemon as an example isn't just something that you picked out of thin air. It's something that applies to you. <laughs> yeah, you got it. That's why I keep on using them as an example. I love that company. <laughs> well, if we use them as an example often enough, maybe they're going to think, you know, they're going to think something special about you and provide you some kind of wonderful uh, perk for being an unpaid spokesperson for them. Okay. What advice would you give to your younger self? Yes, um, that is actually a really good question. I was actually thinking about this last week. And I think one of the things that I would say is 
just to have courage and believe. Because when I was younger, I always struggled with、um, having to control the outcomes. You know, like having to control the results of something. And sometimes when you try too hard to control the results, you actually lose the joy of doing the thing that you're doing. If you get what I'm saying, trying to say. So like,、yeah. enjoy the process and not try to worry too much about what happens after. Because sometimes it's out of your control. Great advice. Last question is: What is your favorite meal that your mom cooked? Ooh, yes. So she is a really amazing cook. I wish I can cook like her.、Um, I think one of her favorite,、um, I mean, my my favorite meals that she's made is dumplings. Like you know, I'm ethnically Chinese.、Um, we eat a lot of really great foods, but I think her dumplings are definitely the one that takes the cake for me. So, so what does she put in her dumplings? Okay, so it's、uh, chives and it, it's pork, but、um, one of the secret ingredients is actually a little bit of ginger. It adds a little bit of kick to it. It's amazing that you say that. My kids are all foodies and they love to cook. And they actually made homemade dumplings a couple weeks ago, and it was phenomenal. And then we turned them into pot stickers and the whole nine yards. It was fantastic. So nice. Can, oh, you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Listen, having three. Foodies in the house who like to cook is not a bad thing at all. I will give this advice to everyone who's out there, and that is, when your kids are little, when they are like just toddlers, don't let them watch cartoons. Make them watch the Food Network, and then <laughs> when they grow up, they're going to have a thing for food, and they will cook for you. And it's the best idea we ever had. Listen, Danny, thank you so much for being on the show. I think that we've learned a lot from you. For all the listeners today, thanks for tuning in. I hope that you have enjoyed this as much as I have, and I will remind you of this: when you stop learning, you stop living. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks, Rob.